Hello there and welcome back to Thanks Morris. I am Marie, the SLP. Welcome back. I can't believe it's already the middle of November and it's almost Thanksgiving in the United States. Um, Okay, what happened 2020? Anyways, this week on the podcast, I am so excited to share a conversation that I got to have with Becky from the SLT Scrapbook. Yep, don't mind the fact that we are in two different countries recording this. I love, love, love that. And that we are, um, you know, figuring out time differences. Uh, She is nine hours ahead of me. And so I'm really grateful that she made the time to sit down and share with us all about her passions for early intervention and parent coaching and sharing some, you know, tidbits and things we can keep in mind during our sessions. Um, Or just, you know, if you're at home with a little one, things to keep in mind about language development. So without further ado, let's talk to Becky. Welcome, Becky, to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm very grateful that you're here and that we can talk about your work as a speech pathologist and your passion for early intervention. Um, So if we want to just jump right in, I'll have you go ahead and explain kind of where you're currently working. the, ba- the setting that you're currently in and your background as a speech therapist. Um, so go yeah. ahead and take, take it away. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So um, I'm a pediatric speech and language therapist, we'd say over here rather than a pathologist. Um, and I'm from the United Kingdom. Um, I've worked with a range of children aged from about two up to about 18. Um, and they've had a range of speech, language and communication needs. Now I focus more on early intervention and parent coaching, which is my like true passion. Um, at the minute, unfortunately, due to COVID and issues with childcare and all of that, um, I'm not actually currently seeing any families. But I am really hoping to get back into that this spring-ish next year. I'm really, really missing it. Um, so I'm hoping that things will work out all being well. Um, so in the meantime, anyway, I'm running um, my online business, selling, you know, making and selling um, materials for speech and language therapists instead. So that's been a great way to keep up um, with the speech therapy world and, and things, even though I'm not currently, sadly, currently not seeing children. I know. It's been very challenging for all of us. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. worldwide. Absolutely. And I am in awe of the therapists who have got kids and are having still got a caseload. I really thought about it and I just couldn't see a way that, you know, I've got a toddler and I just could not see a way that I could look after him and do a good job seeing families. I just couldn't see it, even with teletherapy. So we just sadly made that decision that at the minute, yeah, I'm I'm just going to focus on being a mum and doing my online business and then hopefully next year like I say I've got some big things planned all being well so it'll be good if I can if I can do it so I'm in in contact with the like my uh, our governing body and things to make sure I can do everything and how I'd make it COVID friendly so we'll see (laughs) how exciting well I can't wait to find out (laughs) it'll be good if I can do it it's like parent groups and things like that is what I want to do so yeah just it's just how I would do them safely really so right right I think and and like I think now has been or this year has been such a reminder of you know when you need to stop and be present for what's most important for you like your family it's yeah you know it's a good thing to do and it's a good reminder for all of us to to do that 
So absolutely. And, and it wasn't an easy decision by any no. stretch, but it was definitely the right one. Right. So, um, yeah, it has been really nice to, to see him, you know, even more over this time. It's been yeah. lovely. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so you mentioned you're in the early intervention world. Um, yeah. And I guess I just want to, I mean, I, some preschool SLP or speech therapist. Um, yeah. And so I definitely work with some of those age groups. And I love, I didn't ever think I would love working with the little ones as much as I do now, Um, but they are such a joy. Um, You know, they bring their own challenges, of course, because they're they're little and they're wiggly and, um, you know, there's, they might have a lot of needs, Um, but it is, it is so fun to work with them. And I, um, and I know from your Instagram account, which I love, and I love all Thank your you. tips, <laughs> that, you. you know, you do, you're, I'm so grateful to you because you do give a lot of just like quick tips, but they could, they're so valuable in the moment, um, whether it's during assessment or during, you know, an actual session um, yeah. or in terms of parent coaching. So I definitely want to want to talk about that more. Um, and starting off, I guess, and talking about maybe some early intervention basics, what would your recommendations like going straight into, or like what, cause I know I get this question a lot when, um, maybe parents either that I've worked with or that I know, because they know I work with little ones, they might ask me, you know, do you think my child needs a speech and language evaluation? Even over Instagram now I'll get DMS from, from moms or dads that are curious about this. And, um, what is your best advice as far as when you would recommend a parent um, or even a speech therapist who might have some concerns about a student or, or a child that's not, you know, in speech um, when that's necessary? Yeah. So I think this is something that probably differs massively depending on area and criteria. And, Mm -hmm. and I know over here, we've got obviously criteria for services and I'm sure that's the same for you over there. Mm -hmm. Um, So things will definitely vary. Um, My main one that you know parents contact me too and I always say if you're worried contact like contact your local service you know I can't say because I've never met your child I cannot say whether you do or do not need to go so I will always tell you go anyway because Mm -hmm. it's always better to be reassured than to sit and wonder and you know so do not watch and wait right (laughs) don't watch and wait don't think it'll be okay oh he'll outgrow it because if you if you go early and you find out he's fine then great and if you go early and find out he needs some help even better so you know you've done it but um I suppose I would I always kind of look at those big milestones um every few months really so um I've got a niece at the minute he's six months and uh, it's my sister-in-law's first baby. And so she was asking me the same questions of, you know, is she on track? Is she doing her? Is she okay? And so it's things like, well, is she babbling, smiling, reaching and interacting with others? She's doing all of those things. She's, she's doing good. So I would say if around six months, if the baby, you know, if your child isn't babbling, smiling, reaching or, or interacting, uh, you know, responding to those facial expressions and things, then I would be looking to refer even at that young age of six months. I'd yeah. be thinking, oh, do we need to get, um, do we need to, to get an evaluation? Um, and then at around nine months, if we're not using eye contact or facial expressions, if we're not beginning to use some early gestures, and if there's no reduplicated babbling happening, um, 
I'd be looking at a referral then. Uh, and then at 12 months, certainly if they're not doing that early turn taking, I'd be starting to look at that play and that social interaction. So if we're not turn taking um, and doing any peekaboo games or using gestures and things like that, um, if they're not responding to familiar words or simple instructions, and if then again, still not doing that babbling and particularly the, the variegated babbling, that non-reduplicated. Mm-hmm. So if the, the babbling isn't starting to sound like words, then I, it starts to get my like, ears tingling and be like, oh, we mm-hmm. need to maybe do something here. Um, and then by 18 months, uh, I, I, think, I think everybody starts to get a little bit worried if we haven't got any clear words, um, if they're not understanding short requests or instructions if we're not imitating and if there's no interest in playing with other children um so I you know I as a mum I was watching my little boy go through all these stages and just in case um Mm -hmm. you know really watching and and I think you know even with particularly with this COVID thing you think well is he playing with other children because we haven't seen him play with other children so as soon as we were you know everyone was given the green light to start mixing I was like right we'll have to go and see your cousins (laughs) let's get you around some children Um, and it was nice to see him showing an interest in other children because he's great with adults but you think he's not been around kids since March Mm. so you know it's nice to make sure that that's okay and then you know by two years old I would say if the child's play skills are really limited or repetitive if there's no imitation if their play is lacking functional and simple pretend um you know if they're not doing any of that play and if they have a limited vocabulary of fewer than 50 but certainly fewer than 20 words I would really be yeah really be worried by that point and 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 you know at 50 words that's really low anyway but I think that generally over here there's that idea of well that's that's a uh, an average like a you know like a milestone of if we've got yeah. 50 words start combining great um yeah but obviously that's a really low end of what we'd be looking at so mm-hmm. yeah I, I usually um you know my previous jobs we'd be getting those two-year-olds who've got less than 10 words and I that was because that was where they when they took them you know, it's when we took the children and you think, oh, but we could have got in so much earlier. There's so many other milestones. So that's why I always say, I think that parental concern is the main thing. So if, if you're worried and if you have noticed, you know your child, if you've noticed something isn't right, refer. Yeah. And you know. that's typically what I would say too. You know, yeah. I'll always say, even like I said, if I get a message on Instagram or anything, I just, you know, I'm like, you go to your pediatrician because out here you have to go through the pediatrician who will refer. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, you know, I'm like, I know it's a process, but just tell, tell them you want an evaluation and, <laughs> you know, it's better to, to know that, that there's no concerns. And like you said, even better if we can, um, get that early intervention going because it is so it's just so amazing when I even with my preschoolers when I see in one year how much they grow and make progress with the added supports um it's it's so helpful and so crucial yeah absolutely and I think I think it 
obviously the process is different over here they um and services because most of them go through the nhs so our Mm -hmm. national health service which is Mm -hmm. free um so most of them that's where the that's where the um criteria really varies um but i would usually say to them go to your doctor you know go to your gp or go to the health visiting service or many many services allow parents to refer themselves that's awesome yeah so i'll say you know do this this or this you know and just go because that waiting yeah watching and waiting is just not not good because if they're not doing that at two well by two and a half they're even further behind so let's get the ball moving now yeah yeah no as early as we can (laughs) yeah exactly and that you know I remember during my um my college days my grad school days talking about the whole wait and see thing and um it was interesting because we talked a lot about those pre-linguistic skills. Um, and I, I didn't quite realize until I was actually working with three to five-year-olds, I didn't realize how early on those pre-linguistic skills start to show up when, um, you know, infants and toddlers are developing. Yeah. And, um, and I know you kind of went through them in, and I like how you broke it down because it totally helps me. <laughs> And visuals always helpful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when I started writing goals for kids that maybe uh, are nonverbal and, you know, they're four years old and I'm looking at, well, they, you know, yeah, they're not using words, but, you know, kind of going back, I use, um, it's, I don't know if you've heard of Laura Mize. She, yes, I love um, her. Yeah, yes. I use her 11 skills work. Yes. Like I have her sheet taped above my desk and I look at, you know, okay, well, wait, are we doing imitation? Are we, you know, are we doing any variegated babbling? Um, and I, um, it's really helpful to, to know how important those pre-linguistic skills are, even with, like you mentioned, play is just such, yeah. such a huge deal for language development. Um, yeah. And, and the, the pre-linguistic skills, obviously they're that, that foundation of language development. And if, they underpin absolutely everything so the temptation when we get the late talking toddlers and children with language delay is to go straight in at words and yeah. be like all right well, let's target words and that's you know parents and school staff and things they want that too but you're right you have to think actually have we got all of the steps in place beforehand have we got all of those other 11 skills because if not then we're not going to get words really or we'll, we'll get a few but we're not going to be using them to request or to initiate right. in the right ways because we haven't got those skills in place yet um, right. and it can be hard to to get that across to parents and staff sometimes um, so yeah showing them that visual from Laura Mize or I like to explain it as um, as like steps yeah. um, as you know in the top step is using words and beginning you know initiating conversations and the bottom step is that first one of reacting to events in the environment so if we're not we we can't jump straight to the top step we have to go through each step first so we um, and we as therapists have to work out where the gaps are which steps are missing and we have to make sure that step is solid before we can move on um and so usually is it's working backwards really from words which where do we get to and how many steps are we going down yeah. and then build it back up again. 
Um, and I think, and that's important, you know, if they're, if you think, oh yeah, actually we have got some joint attention, we're good, you know, we're all right there, but they're not making the expected progress. Maybe we missed looking at their play skills or maybe right. we missed, uh, I don't know, that they're using gestures, you know, so it's right. really checking all of those 11 skills. Um, and I love the way Laura Mize, like that whole series she's done on it all is so useful. Yeah, yeah it, really, really good. It is helpful. And you have the steps on your Instagram, right? That visual? Yes, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I made it as, as a little thing just because I'd, I'd made a resource that had um, parent frequently asked questions. And obviously yes. that's one that you always come up is exactly. why aren't we working on words? Um, exactly. And for me, because I always explain, because, you know, you can show them those 11 skills, but they don't, a visual always helps, doesn't it? A visual helps everybody. Yes. And and so explaining it as a staircase and then visualising it as a staircase for parents can really help and show where we're at. So, yeah, that's on my Instagram and, and in that resource as well. Yeah, no, I love that because I honestly didn't come across your Instagram um, until, you know, maybe in the last like five months. Um, and so I would use, I, and those 11 skills are so great, but um, having that visual, even if while you're explaining those 11 skills, you're talking about it in terms of a staircase, I yeah. think is, um, I remember seeing that and I was like, oh, that is, even for me, it's helpful. So to be able yeah. to explain it during, you know, IEP meetings, when I write a goal for playing peekaboo, you know, yes. and a parent's like, well, I want them to say that they want to go to the restroom. Yeah. Um, it's like, okay, and that's great. But let's first talk about this step and look at all the places in between that we, we need to work towards so we can make these things attainable for the child. Um, it's, it might be a little bit easier for me <laughs> to explain. Yeah. So, and, and I've, so many times drawn out to staircase mm-hmm. and, you know a little person stood on one step and seen you know really jumping like we have to jump on all these steps yeah. before we get to the top and just and that visual of showing them this is where we're going but also because obviously it's going up so yeah. we can show them that's just a nice way to show progress generally anyway so then we can say look you're, you know we can draw another person on this the next step look we are moving up we're getting closer yeah but we have to make sure that's solid because we don't want to tumble back down the stairs and, you know, and it, and it helps. I think it really helps them. So, and I find that that's really helpful. Like I said before, when, if you find that they have got some words, but the words they've got are just nouns or they're not using them often. Um, and they're not using language in a functional way to request or initiate or whatever. And then that's where, you can really explain you know the staircase is great they've got the frame of the staircase but there's a few pieces missing you know it's not perfectly solid so we need to make sure every step is is fixed and secure and then that'll help us build up this language even better so yeah I think that just that sort of analogy really seems to click with parents yeah it it really like does a visual and an analogy I think it always helps I, yeah, I totally agree. I always use, I like using the sandwich, especially now because I work with parents via teletherapy since they're sitting with their little ones. And so, you know, I'll explain like, first we're starting with something that the child's really successful in, then I'm going to challenge them. And then I'm going to end on something that's really, 
<laughs> that's always yeah. my favorite one. Um, yes, yes, I like that. <laughs> visuals, they help our little yeah. ones, but they also help uh, the adults, I think. It's- absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I think, and and particularly now, it's like information overload for everybody, for all the things, you know, we're having mm-hmm all the health information and now we're all receiving meetings and everything online and you've just got so much to manage well if I can make it visual it'll be easier for you to remember and it's easy for me to explain and things like that so yeah anything I'm I'm all for visuals (laughs) yeah me too um and another great one since we're talking about them another great one that um you've shared is it kind of works with these pre-linguistic skills when we're talking about going up the steps is you have six ways to foster language development, um, which I think is just so important to uh, keep in mind all the little ways that we can be not only a speech therapist, but that we can help parents understand how they can be using certain strategies at home. Um, So do you mind talking a little bit about those? Yeah, definitely. So um, this is, again, it was another one of those handouts and another, (laughs) the six, the six ways I always tell, because I think when, when, we first meet families and they're, they're wanting so much information we we can fall big foul of of giving so much information and again it's that information overload so yeah. I always try and restrict it down of, of saying to them well pick pick maybe just one and use that and use that successfully in just one situation and then use it in in a different you know use it in play first and then try at snack time and then try at bedtime or, or whatever um and so sometimes they want a little bit more so then I limit it to about six and they're very simple and things that they are probably generally doing anyway so it really helps but they're, they're six things that we find beneficial so um name and comment um on the things that they're looking at and playing with and that naming and commenting is huge for early language because if they're looking at it and playing with it then you've already got that attention you know their joint attentions on it because they're looking and playing we're joining in we can name and comment on that and that language has more meaning for them because it's applied to the thing they they're engaged with already so um that's always a a strategy I like sometimes parents do need further coaching with that commenting um because questions they 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 still like to ask questions <laughs> sometimes I find. Um, so encouraging them to flip that and turn it into a comment. But that's, that's always a really beneficial strategy. Um, being face to face when playing and talking with the child. Um, because, and, and I suppose I didn't really realise it myself, how easy it is to, to not be face to face. You know, like obviously I've got my toddler. I don't know if that moment made sense really, but I've got my little boy and obviously he's much smaller than I am. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I find it myself, I talk to him stood up, even though I know I should be down face to face, but it's so easy to just carry on about my day. And he's talking and showing me something and I'm just carrying, you know, carrying on whatever job I'm doing and actually remembering, let's get down to his level. Let's, bob, you know, bob down. I don't know if that's if that's a saying for you, but crouch down. Yeah, crouch yeah. Down. <laughs> uh, crouch down and get to his level. Um, and again, those words hold more meaning because you've got their attention and they can see your face. They can see your facial expressions when mm-hmm. you're not commenting or, or whatever. And they just know that they have your attention too. And that's massive. So I, I, um, 
that's that's always one I try and tell parents to do. So getting down to their level or like at meal times, we've got a little seat. My little boy has like instead of a high chair now, it's like a little seat attached to the dining chair. So he's at our level at the dining table and things because it's just so beneficial to have that eye contact and and that um yeah just being together and, and right. at the same level while we're talking and things so we can all see the same things um and kind of along with all of those two strategies is following their lead so talking about and looking at the things that they're interested in too um because and, and again it's really apparent with my little boy um and it's and it is with all the children I've ever worked with you can try desperately hard to to pull their attention over to something else but there's no there's no value in that because they're already interested in something so it's encouraging parents to show an interest in what they're interested in and to talk about and play with that so say with my little boy and he loves his cars and his vehicles um if if he's playing with his fire engine there's no value in me saying to him come over here look at the bird outside right because he most of the time he probably won't care because he's he's playing with his fire engine but if I start talking to him about his fire engine and the bright lights flashing and the ladder that goes up and down and we can get people in and out well then we'll get I'll get more from him because I followed his lead and we're talking about that and um you can just get a lot more language and you get a lot more of interaction back from children when you've followed what they are interested in rather than trying to direct that. So that's another strategy that I always encourage parents to, uh, to use really. Um, and, and, it, and it is tempting to, to try and direct them, but to follow what they are interested in, you get a lot more back. Um, and then another way to encourage language is just to read books um, and if you've got a little wiggly toddler, not to, you don't have to worry about reading the book as is. Um, mm-hmm. It's just it's just looking at the pictures and talking about the pictures, and and again following their lead. If they want to turn five pages all at once, then let them. You know, you don't have to say, "Oh no, we've not finished on this page. Let's finish this page," because they're not interested in that one anymore. So follow their lead and look at the picture they are interested in and talk about that one. And you will get a lot more language from them. You'll get more interaction from them. You'll have a sustained attention because you're showing an interest in what they're interested in rather than trying to lead that. Um, so books have a, a massive, massive role and are so useful. And, and it's tricky because not every family does read books and things but I think trying to encourage that and to display a, um, a good model like to show a good model for reading and mm-hmm. um, I always say to parents if you don't have many books you know go to the library and things like that but if you can't do that obviously covid wise they may not be open right now <laughs> yeah I always encourage parents to either just look at the brochures and stuff and catalogs and what have you that you can get from stores looking through those and talking about those pictures is great fun um or making a little book just drawing some little pictures um and doing that as as an activity together 
as well. So the little ones colouring or painting or whatever, and you're drawing some pictures. And then afterwards, you can talk about that and make up any story you want every single time. Um, and I always try and encourage families to, if you don't have books, make them because you get so much from that activity as well. So that's always a nice one. Um, a big, big, big strategy that, and, and it's another one of these six ways I like to encourage language development is to offer choices. I think offering choices is so powerful for little ones um, because they, they want to they they want to exert their um yeah their, their way I don't know how to word it really their way to make to dominate their you know to, to decide yeah. like yeah. they want to um exert their authority on things yeah to have some control yes control that's the yeah. word I was wanting it's yeah. late here <laughs> oh no you're good <laughs> <laughs> yes they want to um exert that control over a situation mm-hmm. and offering a choice is one of the best ways to do that. Um, so this is one of the strategies I try to tell parents, pick pick one time, in like one routine where you're going to offer choices. And when mm-hmm. you're successful with that, try another and then try another, rather than trying to offer choices all the time. <laughs> that can be really hard. And I generally find the most um, successful one at first is snacks. So it's snack time, offering a choice. Because, you know, mealtimes might be set of what you're going to cook for dinner. So that's probably set. Breakfast might not be a choice either. Um, But certainly snacks, that's something easy and you can offer a choice with that. So with choices, I always suggest for parents to make it visual. Um, And usually that's having the two choices, you know, in your hands if you can. So having, I don't know, your box of raisins or a cookie. (laughs) <laughs> you know mm-hmm. do you want raisins or a cookie um or with drinks do you want milk or juice so they've they can see the two choices there in front of them and then they can choose and depending on the level the child is at you can let them choose by vocalizing pointing taking it just looking you know just um, gazing at it um, or they might say the word um and then you respond, you know, you give them that. Depending on where the child's at with that, you could make that into a bit of a communication temptation. So with the cookie, you just give them a little bit or with the box of raisins, you just give a few or you don't even open it. Um, but that might, you know, that might be too much for a parent to think about. So if they're <laughs> offering the choice, great. Yeah. And then we'll build on that. Once you've had success with that, we can build on that successful routine. Um, And then the last way I like to encourage language development is just singing songs and rhymes. Um, And there's usually loads of other ways I encourage parents to use songs and rhymes, you know, by pausing or, again, offering choices and things. But just generally just singing songs and rhymes, the repetitive nature and the gentle rhyming that they have has so many benefits for language development anyway. so I often encourage that and I, I say to parents as well, if they don't know the words, you know, Google it. But if you can't do that, just make it up. It does not matter. Your child does not care if you don't know the words. They are loving hearing your voice. And even if you think you can't sing, it does not matter because <laughs> your child is going to love it. Like They're going to love it. So 
me and my little boy, we sing songs all the time. We'll make up ones in the bath or we'll sing songs while we're making breakfast because it's just an easy way to get that extra language in and it's fun. It's a fun, silly way to do it. Yeah. I love those, those are my six ways that I, I always try and encourage parents just to, to encourage language all the time at home. Mm-hmm. No, and they're awesome. And they are, I mean, I feel like once you kind of start using one, then you can maybe, you know, I'm already thinking in terms of maybe the parent coaching side of things, but it is, you know, if you see six things like, well, I can't do all of that in one day, it's overwhelming, but it's, you could take it piece by piece. And today, you know, maybe focus on naming and commenting and then, you know, add on singing songs with, you know, with everything you do. And, um, And, and that's where I say, you know, I always coach parents to start small. Yeah. Start with just one strategy, one time, and then build up. And it is usually um, something like doing something around meal times because they happen, at, you know, usually, typically three times a day yep. plus snacks. <laughs> so, you know, you might be looking at four or five times a day where you can practice using a strategy, whether it's naming or it's sitting face to face, or it's uh, following the lead or or whatever, you know, it's, you can practice a strategy a few times Mm -hmm. a day. So um, it's usually, usually revolves around food (laughs) for us. For the most part. Um, I noticed that too. I always recommend snack times or meal times because they're, they can be the highest, like high motivational when it comes highly motivational when it comes to requesting more. And like, I love what you said about communication temptation. I've never, I've never heard that. I know it's like, it's like doing things bit by bit or offering, but I love, I love the way that that's phrased because it just, it it is what it sounds like. Um, And so I think some people um, maybe use the term sabotage. Oh yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I prefer communication temptation just as a term, because what you are basically doing is tempting them to communicate more. Mm-hmm. And I've just found over the years, sometimes not with everybody, sometimes people can misinterpret sabotage because <laughs> it's, it sometimes has negative connotations. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, not particularly a nice thing to do is to sabotage something. Um, but to tempt someone to do, something is a bit nicer so to tempt tempt them to communicate more by giving a little bit um is generally a bit better and that's that's why I like um put putting things out of reach um or putting toys in locked or food <laughs> in locked tubs giving unopened packets uh, toys that are hard to unscrew you know yeah. it, you know my little boy things that are hard to turn on um or he got um, presents for his birthday in the boxes are the hard to open he can't get his train set out of the box and I mean obviously the easy thing for mommy to do would be to just leave the box unopened mm-hmm. <laughs> but we every single time we finished playing we put it back in the box right. to give him because it's all about with all of these things it's giving them a reason and an opportunity to communicate with you yeah. so and my husband my husband said to me why do you keep putting it away <laughs> because then he's got no reason to ask if not <laughs> yeah exactly uh, oh, oh yeah I thought you were just tidying up <laughs> <laughs> no that's a nice benefit but no it's because I'm giving him a, a reason he want I know he's going to want to play with that train set again um but he needs 
I mean, his language is fine, but he, he needs a reason and an opportunity to communicate with me. So I'm going to put it away. And then he has to ask for it again. And it, I always say to parents, don't, don't do it to a point where they're getting frustrated because you, you're, you're just going to hit a brick wall. That's not a positive way to be doing it, but um, do it a few times. And if it's still playful, that's fine. So mm-hmm. your things, toys out of reach and putting things back in boxes or giving things that aren't opened and that type of thing, as long as they're not getting too frustrated with that keep doing it because it works wonders I think it's really powerful for them to because they they're going to want what you've given them (laughs) oh yes yeah yeah yeah, that's always a good one yeah no I I think that's awesome um and I love too just because I want to comment on this singing is so fun it's so fun for me to do and I had a really great professor who told who taught us like to make anything into a song so Mm -hmm. You know, if you're playing, if you're in the bath and you don't necessarily, nothing comes to mind as far as what songs you can sing that go along with water or whatever, um, you know, she's like, just make up a song about, you know, if there's a toy duck and you're just singing swim, ducky, swim, like the whole time, but you have that, the inflection of your voice changing, you're leaving those, those, um, you know, gaps or blanks for the child to maybe fill in or even just look at you to get the joint attention. So singing can be something that you just kind of just start doing throughout the day or. Yes. And, and often I I encourage parents to use like one tune and just Mm -hmm. replace the words. So it's most of the time it's here we go around the mulberry bush, which I think is a common one. Uh So in the bath, at bath time we have, you know, this is the way we, you know, this is the way we wash our hands, wash our hands, yeah. wash our hands. So we'll do that. Um, late, <laughs> lately, though, my little boy's loving um, to the tune of Baby Shark. Oh, yeah. Wash, wash your feet. Do, 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 yeah. <laughs> but now he's got a choice. So I can say to him, should we do 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 or wash your feet? And then he will choose and then we will sing whichever song <laughs> yeah. while we wash whatever body part. So um that's that's always good yeah so I just I I say to parents basically just pick anything and something like baby shark or here we go around the mulberry bush are really they're fun and they're easy to remember and you can most for the most part you can put any lyrics into those Mm -hmm. (laughs) so yeah so they're fun yeah no they are so fun and it um you know we've talked a lot about um how you can kind of coach parents and and uh, help them learn these different um, strategies and understand the skills that their child might be working on. Um, and I know you have a, a huge passion for parent coaching, which I just admire yeah. so much. I love I love working with families and getting to know yeah. them and helping parents feel basically tell, teaching parents to do what I do. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, and so I, you know, how do you develop those good relationships with families? Like that rapport building piece is so, it's so vital. Um, and yeah. It's the first step really, which sometimes even I'll forget about. Um, so what are your, I guess, recommendations? <laughs> yeah. And I think I've talked about this as well on my Instagram. I talk about me, <laughs> talk about all. Um, and effective parent coaching, it, it just relies on it. it. You have to have a good relationship with the family because if you don't have that good working relationship with the parents or caregivers, then it's not really going to work because they have to, they have to feel 
heard and appreciated and valued, but they also need to trust you. So they need to know that you are going to listen to them and appreciate them and value them. And if you're not showing them that they matter and that their child matters, then you're not really going to get the buy-in from them. Like you have to have that strong relationship together. Um, and I find like, so there's there's loads of evidence around this. Um, the Informed SLP recently, I don't know if you're a member of the Informed SLP. Yes, I am. Love her. <laughs> incredible. And everybody should be a member. If you yes. can only buy one speech show of your material ever, it should be that. Like it is fantastic. Um, so yeah, so they recently did a bit of a um, an article review on it, but there's some um, articles as well. I can give them the link, give you the links afterwards if that's helpful. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So there's um, like three articles that kind of talk about developing this parent relationship, um, and they all kind of have the same idea. But basically, this this the importance of involving parents and caregivers in decision making. So. You have to regularly check in with them and make sure that they are jointly making decisions with you rather than you just taking the lead and pushing your own agenda because you know that's what the child needs. You have to engage with them and reflect on their role and your role and make sure they're involved. So just asking them you know, regularly if they're happy with the activities that they've got planned, if they need, you know, if they want to do it a different way, if they want to carry on, even even just, do you want to do it at snack time next week or do you want to try, what, what else would be easy for you to try? So you're just getting them involved in that decision-making rather than you leading. Sometimes you have families that want you just to decide. They just want you to make that decision and tell them. Mm-hmm. But effective coaching, you're actually deciding everything together, really. You're really involved, you're a team, you're a partnership. Um, another way to build that good relationship is to value their contributions. And sometimes I've come across people who they parents feel like other therapists have just dismissed their views or opinions previously. Um, and, and that probably, well, possibly wasn't the case. I don't know. Obviously, it wasn't there. So... <laughs> <laughs> you you hope it wasn't the case and um, that it was dismissed but that's certainly how they felt so showing them that you value anything they're bringing to the table anything they're telling you about their child or an idea they've had or something they've tried even if it maybe wasn't quite what you'd wanted them to do <laughs> maybe um but you value that they tried so you yeah. you value any contribution that they've made and you praise them for that and you encourage more contributions and then you can steer it to how you want it so um and being being positive about anything that they do so some of the articles and um, one of the articles says how they and I've seen this come up a few times recently like red flags and they're you know the term red flags and mm. it's seen as obviously a negative thing because red flags are mean danger and it's right. a negative it's got a negative connotation around it um, and so in the articles parents um, gave feedback around that sometimes when their child gets a diagnosis or the, the therapist is talking about 
their child's difficulties, they focus on the, the deficit and the difficulty that the child has got. Whereas actually to build that good relationship, you want to be positive. You want to focus on the good stuff because that's what the parents want to hear. They want to hear the positive things. So you can build that good relationship by um, praising and giving feedback to the parent and the caregiver throughout and highlighting the positive things that the child is doing so that they are always that they're seeing the good things and they're seeing the benefit of the therapy because you're telling them these positive things and you're keeping it moving forward. Um, and then going with that is showing that you care about their child. So when they're telling you things and it all links in together, so they've told you a contribution or whatever about what their child has done, you show that you really care about that. And that's that in some of the articles, that was massive. That was a big thing. And it, and it is for me like, I, if I take my son to uh, an appointment of any kind and I see that the who, whatever professional it is has shown that they care about him, I think, oh, we'll go to see that doctor again or <laughs> that yeah. dentist again or whoever because they've shown, like, he's my world. So they've shown that they care about him as much as I do. Well, that's what it felt in that appointment there. Great. Well, yes, I'll come and see you again. And that's what parents need you know and, and you're and I think through parent coaching as well you know you're you're being brought into their home you're being brought in to their life really so you're going to work with their child so you they need to know that that you and them are going to work together to get the best outcome for their child so if, if they know that then then they'll be on your team you know they'll, you'll get that buy-in um, right. and then another one is being empathetic so when they are giving you contributions regard you know what it, it all can you see how it all like ties in together so yeah. <laughs> and and that and it is like they all rely on each other mm-hmm. like all of those things you involve them in their decisions you're positive about it you value what they've said you and then you're empathetic about it they tell you something that's challenging for them or um that their child struggled with or whatever it may be and you empathize with them and you relate to them because then they know oh she's not just here or he's not just here to to see my child tick 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 done that job and off to the next they actually care they want to be here and they want to help me and we're going to make progress together and I think if you like that parent coaching is about being a partnership and 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 really working together and you want to empower the parent to use strategies and things and in order to do that you have to have them on your side and by doing all of those things um then then you're more likely to get them into that team with you really um and it can feel tricky to do like you can think oh how am I supposed to do that but it's basically just actively encouraging them to contribute um asking for their opinions asking for their thoughts rather than you just giving all that information rather than you telling them oh let's let's do this today let's do that you know let's give that choice at snack time or how about you give him a choice when he is playing with his cars asking them oh when do you think might be another good time that you could offer choices you know have you thought about another time that you could be commenting um throughout your day 
So you're getting their input rather than you just dictating it all and, and taking that lead, if that makes sense. Yeah, because that just helps them feel so much more empowered when, you know, they can have, it, I mean, when they can have that um, ability or the opportunity for to think of other times throughout their day that they can be doing these things or, um, you know, they are like, oh, well, yeah, you're right. I know my child really likes the train set, but you maybe didn't know that. So yeah, I'll pull that out right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think because the temptation and it is always the temptation is because, because parent coaching is hard. It is hard. It is hard to, to go into someone's home and to start telling them how to do things with their child. It, it's strange and it doesn't feel normal. So to be able to um, to adapt your interaction style to work together with a parent can be quite hard but that there is that temptation to take the lead and to tell the parent or caregiver when to use the strategies why to use it how to use it you know and to 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 model rather than coach and then um then if you've kind of got more of a consultation role rather than a coaching role because you've just kind of told them shown them and gone right where is that and and that you're not really building that relationship there because you've you've kind of gone through the motions and gone. Whereas actually, if you properly are coaching, which is more of a skill, you're encouraging the parent to really think for themselves. Like you say, I know he likes trains. I could offer him a, tra- a choice of which way we build the track. Yeah, oh, I, I could keep the box shut, couldn't I? So I don't open it for him before before I get it out. If I keep it open, if I keep it shut, then he has to ask for me to open it. Right. Yeah, fantastic. So, is there any other toys that you could be doing that with too? Rather than you say, you know, sitting there and saying, "Yeah," and you could do that with this play doh set, and you could do that with this, and you could, rather than you telling them, yeah. if you encourage them to think for themselves when they can do these things, then you're more likely to get that carryover yeah. because you've enabled them to, they, what you've done is you've coached them to know how to use a strategy and you've enabled them to think, ah, I know, I understand this strategy now and I can, I know how to use it in different situations, even though she's not showed me, like right. I can do that myself. Right. So um, yeah, so that, that's like a big part of that coaching and that's where, it's a, it's a skill because it's, te- it's tempting to just lead it, but actually to be getting them to really think about for it for themselves. And um, that's where the, that's like you, the best bit, really. That's the best bit of coaching is when you right. see the light bulb moment for them and they think, ah, I right. can do it in this and that and the other. So, you know, that's the best bit, really. Exactly. No, I... I love seeing that I've gotten, and like I said, I have, you know, being in a, I'm a school-based SLP. So being in that setting, um, I don't really get, a, a, I don't get that interaction with families and parents unless I'm at a meeting once a year or a couple times a year with them. Um, but now with being a virtual speech therapist, I, um, I get to be with the parents yeah. and uh, for my children, maybe where we have, um, we're working on joint attention. It's a really great opportunity to, you know, talk to the parents and, and do just that and say, Oh, you know, what were you just, you know, cause sometimes they'll be pulling the child to sit in front of the computer for, for the speech session. And, 
you know, I come on and the child's a little bit distraught because they were just playing with blocks, Um, you know, and I'll kind of say, oh, well, you know, were, was he having fun? You know, were we, you know, was he engaged in that? And um, would you like to bring the computer over to where the blocks are and just continue? And then, you know, the next time we have a session, I notice that we're just kind of carrying, like I'm coming into whatever was already happening because, um, you know, the the parent kind of felt that permission of, oh, I can, I can make that decision. Um, And yeah, don't have to change it up too much, which is a lot easier for us to get the engagement then. So absolutely. But I think, I think as well, that coaching aspect, you can still do with staff at school. Oh yeah. And not I, not mm-hmm. exactly in the same way because, <laughs> um, because obviously they're autonomous professionals as well, but you can encourage them to think, you know, I'd be really good if you could not open that pack of grapes. <laughs> maybe um yeah I think any, are there any other times that you might open stuff for him that he could ask for you to rather than you just doing it straight away <laughs> um yeah. and, and get in because I think sometimes and, and get in school settings staff that you know they're busy there's 30 other children that they're mm-hmm. working with too so right. encouraging them to think of opportunities to offer those same language you know, that use the same strategies is, is useful too, really. So, yeah, but yeah, definitely now um, seeing parents at home more would be yeah. really beneficial, won't it? I think, that's, I think that's going to be really big. And I'd kind of like, I'd like to see a change like a, as that as a positive outcome from all of this is to see more par- parental involvement. I think that would be great if that's a good thing that comes out of it all. That'd be lovely. I couldn't agree more. And I'm really glad you brought up the staff coaching too, because even I, and, and that's something that a couple of years ago I started focusing on and doing as much as I could do maybe little trainings for our teachers and our instructional aides. Um, and then when I'm going into the classrooms, I can do those kinds of things, but I, I too forget. Um, and so I'm really grateful that you, you pointed that out because we can be using all of the things we've talked about so far, yeah. whether whether we're in the schools um, or we're directly working with families. So thank you for reminding me. Yeah. And I think because, you know, children generally spend most of their time either at home or at school. Yeah. So if we can be, you know, the, the, the great thing is if we can encourage parents to use strategies at home and schools or daycare staff to be using strategies there, then excellent. They've got, you know, where they spend most of their time, everybody's using strategies. You know, that's such a wonderful thing because the the hardest thing, I think, and I always say this to parents too, is what you don't want is someone undoing all your hard work. So you need to get everybody on board, you know, on board and involved. So you don't, and, and, it, and it's difficult, but you don't want one parent offering choices or using communication temptations and then, then another parent is just giving them everything. And, you know, that's undoing all of the good stuff you, you've been working on. Um, but that would be the same if parents are doing a great job at home, but then school staff, because of the nature of a busy classroom, you know, maybe they're not doing those things. Right. So, yeah, I think it's, it's useful to try and make sure they're doing it there too, definitely. Exactly. Um... And then, you know, in thinking about where, you know, if I'm just starting out in a session, maybe where 
it's the, your first time working with a family, how would you recommend structuring a therapy session, um, you know, just to include that parent involvement? I know we kind of already touched on it. Yeah, yeah. I think, as I said before, the, it can be hard. You know, it, parent coaching is, is a real skill and, and some therapists, and perhaps like yourself, you were sort of thrown into parent coaching. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe wasn't your uh, wasn't your original setting, you know. So um, it is a difficult thing, but a, a good way to try and do that really is is to where you would want to suggest is to pause and flip it to see if they can suggest something. Okay. So what I generally would do is recap what we did in the previous session. Or, or if it's our first session, you know, recap, you know, get a bit of up to date about where yeah. the child's at and what they're doing. And then um, I would generally talk about what beneficial strategies they could be doing, ask to see what they're doing at home or, or in play or whatever. And I get them to show me things and then highlight the good stuff, highlight the really positive things. I really liked when you did you know, when you commented on the car, when he brought it over to you, it was great when you use loads of symbolic sounds because he's not using words yet, but he can imitate those sounds. That's fantastic. Um, and, and giving them praise for specific things that they did so they know what was good and what they can do again. Um, and then saying to them, I'm not, you know, did you notice when you asked a question he didn't? didn't answer it because he perhaps he doesn't have those words so what do you think would be a useful thing to do instead because the temptation there would for us as therapists would be to say what you what you need to do is offer a choice or what you could do instead is name it but if we're just telling them then they're not thinking for themselves what might work right so and and, and they might say to you i don't know I don't know, can you help me? And that's, if you, if they are asking you for help, that's fantastic because then you've like hooked them and they will listen because they've asked you for it. But if you're just giving them that advice, they might not take it on board as well. So it's, I, and it's the same for parents, you know, just pause before you give that advice. So before you say to them, next time offer a choice ask them what do you think you could do you know you've got two cars there what do you think you could do with them to encourage him to communicate with you Mm -hmm. get get them thinking they might say i don't know (laughs) well i I don't know um or they might come up with something that's slightly different they might say oh i could name them fantastic yeah you could name them you could name the two vehicles you've got in your house I'm saying vehicles because I'm staring at my son's toilet (laughs) (laughs) that's why vehicles keeps going up um yeah you could name the two uh the two vehicles that you've got in your hands and what if you know yeah if he wants to play with them what what could you try to give him an opportunity to communicate back so the idea with it is rather than you just telling them you're kind of leading them to work it out for themselves yeah because if you manage to get them to work it out themselves and then you sort of reaffirm it afterwards you say yeah offer choices so offering choices is blah 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 and you explain it to them and you demonstrate it and great 
But if you've led them down that path of working out for themselves, then they'll have more opportunity, like they, more uh, success in using it later yeah. because they got there themselves working it out. Does that make sense? So yeah. rather than just saying to them, oh yeah, offer choices and watch me do it. La la la, I've offered a choice and here you go, he picked and you know, so on. You can say to them, try offering a choice. This is how you do it. Now, do you want to have a go? So then you're getting them to do it. So, you know, they've worked out. I could offer him a choice of which car to use. And they say, yeah, do you need any help with that? Or are you quite happy with how you would offer that? And they might ask for you to coach them or they might be happy to give it a go. And I think it's always, always flipping it around onto them. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Because the temptation, as I said several times, is for us to lead it and just to show them because because we know we know what the good thing is we know what they should do most of the time we know how to do it and we know where to do it and we know the best way to do it and and what have you but actually if they can work it out and you can coach them without having to necessarily spoon feed it right you get a lot more success because they can carry it over more successfully without you there because if you've got a parent who's worked out I could offer him a choice with his toys ah then I could offer him a choice at snack time uh we could offer a choice when we're getting dressed then they're more likely to carry that over than the parent who's had to be told offer a choice in toys and now offer a choice at snack time and now offer a choice when you're getting dressed because you know it's it's like with any uh, with anything really if, if you work it out for yourself you have that in it, you're kind of reinforced yeah, um, and empowered to keep doing it because you've got that internal success and that internal reward. So you're intrinsically motivated because you've worked it out. Um, so yeah, so I think that's, I would always structure it that way to just flip it rather than trying to tell them myself, I, I flip it to get them to try and work it out. And then I coach them how to do it successfully um and then encourage them if it's sometimes though as I say sometimes they just they don't know and you do sometimes have those families that you have to coach and demonstrate every strategy in lots of situations and that's fine sometimes you do have those families um but just as much as possible encourage them to think when could you use this strategy when else could you use it what else you know you're doing great offering choices now at snack time what else could you do to give him a a reason to communicate with you or another opportunity to communicate with you before he just eats those raisins what else could you do um so I think that's that's the best way really is just as much as possible flip it back on to them to think if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. And I think that that's, I mean, I love the way you summed it up. It's kind of just like ask instead of suggesting all these different yeah. possibilities because it, I, I'm not a parent, but I can imagine, you know, when you have a child, you, you know, especially if they have language or speech needs or anything like that, um, that's a lot of information to be getting from a speech therapist. But then just as a parent, there's a lot of things that go on in your day and you, you know, you're, you're doing all these other things for your children. And, um, 
So to be able to have that kind of, uh, that skill where you've kind of uh, applied it already, because in the therapy session, when you had the speech therapist feedback, um, you were able to think about it on your own and then, you know, carry that over. It could be so much more powerful. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's just really around that, that carryover and that support at home. They are more likely to to keep using the strategies and to carry them over at home I think when they've had that success in working it out for themselves themselves and 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 also though having handouts and things to refer back to makes a massive difference Mm -hmm. so whether you've just scrolled something out or whether you've got something printed it doesn't really matter as long as they've got that written down so they can remember what their strategy is and then they can think of when they can then use it. Because as you said, they've, they've thought for themselves examples of um, times they could offer choices at home, for example. Um, right. And so they've got on their handout, oh, this is what I do when I offer choices. Oh, yeah. In the session, we did it at snack time. I bet we could do that when I'm getting him dressed or I bet we could do that when they're playing the toys or, or whatever, because they're working it out for themselves and that, um, guiding them to do it, it and becomes self-sufficient and generating that I think is, is the, the best part of, of coaching really because, because sure. they're starting not really to need you because they, what you want them to do is to be successful in using strategies so you can move on to the next one and the next one and the next one and then hopefully their child's language will keep improving. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if, if you can get to that point where they don't need you to constantly give them that information, is, yeah, it's, really, it's, it's really nice. Yeah, that's, no, it's awesome. I'll tell you just from me, <laughs> I just feel so much more like, especially now being um, about seven weeks into my school year with speech sessions, but I feel a lot like I just feel refreshed and kind of ready um, to, to like, it's just a good, uh, just reminded me of all the things that um, I can be doing while I'm working with families and, and the teachers that I work with and everything. So thank you for all that information. No, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Um, I hope that was helpful. <laughs> it was. No, it was. Because I think, you know, it's it's so good to have these reminders because we don't, we have a lot that we're doing. And especially, I mean, from my, I'm only one person and one perspective, but I work on a lot of different goals with my students and, yeah. um, you know, or there's paperwork involved in all these things. So to kind of be like refreshed and keep these things in mind when I'm actually present in my sessions is so yeah. helpful. Yeah, and I think um, it all feeds in. So that building that good relationship and structuring your therapy sessions all feeds in nicely together. So obviously the the important parts from building that relationship is to involve them in the decision-making and value their contributions. So if you can show them that when you're doing that coaching, you're not just going through the motions and doing the strategy, showing it and going on to the next child, you're actually encouraging them to give you more back and yeah. to, to think and to reflect to them on what's going well and what they could do differently and show them that you're a partnership and you're working together, you're more likely to get a buy-in and 
to keep that success going. So, um, yeah, the way you structure that session is to include building that good relationship just flows naturally, I think. Yeah. Oh, no. Totally, totally. Well, thank you so much for all of that. I, I just, it's such a fun, such a fun uh, array of things that we've discussed, but I think it's so powerful and important. Um, and, you know, just to keep all these things in mind, I love what you've said about, you know, offering, um, or when we're talking to parents about what their child is doing to make sure we're highlighting those positives and talking about yeah. all the things a child can do. Um, yeah. Because it's, it's that much more uplifting and yeah and and um I think as 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 a parent I some you know I worry a lot about the things that might not my son might not be doing as well as other children or whatever so I think hearing someone say oh yeah he's doing really good with xyz and you're yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, he is, isn't he? Super. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and just so, and, and I, I suppose, uh, you know, a child with additional needs of any kind, any speech or language needs or, or whatever, I think hearing those positive things is really powerful. So I think that's really nice. Um, and, and yeah, I always try and include that with, with parents so that they're, they're not just hearing negative things and they don't just think we're here to, um, to, to, point out all the things that I yeah. can't do we're here to work together and make all the positive things even better so yeah yeah awesome well again thank you so much for joining me I will we will close this out with a fun trivia question I'm totally changing okay, the okay but I uh I always like to sometimes I don't always do this but I I like to remember to just like end on a on a random note, I guess. Yes. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just fun. Um, so my question for you, uh, and this is without considering, if, if we didn't live in a COVID world right now, mm, yeah. um, if you could travel anywhere in the world tomorrow, where would you go? Oh, <laughs> I think I would want to go to Italy, somewhere in Italy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's just it's just beautiful I would probably want to travel around Italy I think if I could uh, and and go around the coast mm. and just enjoy it all I think yeah that's <laughs> and the nice nice weather and the beaches yeah beautiful scenery I think I'd, I'd do that that's, um... <laughs> and the good food that's what oh yeah <laughs> oh my goodness all the yes. pasta <laughs> yes <laughs> I'd oh, go and I'd do that, that. So fun. So fun. Um, I'll just share mine for fun uh, because I've recently started watching, the, what's it called? Living Big in a Tiny House. And ah. <laughs> it's mainly filmed in Australia and New Zealand. And now I'm just watching all these people who live in New Zealand talk about the beautiful scenery. And yeah. I, think, I think I'm like, yep, okay, I would go to New Zealand tomorrow. <laughs> yes, I th- it's supposed to be beautiful, isn't it? It looks um, gorgeous. Yes, I think the climate's not too different from here, so um, I need somewhere a bit warmer, I think, at the minute. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's oh, got then, a bit cold here. <laughs> oh, then come to Southern California. <laughs> it's so hot still. <laughs> Is it? yeah, at least where I'm at. It's gone very chilly. Really? And a, and a bit rainy, so... Mm. Yeah. Somewhere nice and a bit warmer would be quite nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can totally understand. I'm definitely grateful for the sun. I'm not... Yeah. 
been pretty hot and I'm like, oh, I, I could use a little cooler, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again for joining me. I can't wait for everybody else to hear all the good things you've shared. Thank you so much for having me on. It was my pleasure. Thank you so, so, so much. Thank you so much, friends, for listening to this amazing episode. Becky, thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing all of your information and just inspiring us through your passions for early intervention and parent coaching. I feel like there's so many tidbits we can take away from this episode that'll keep us you know, energized and inspired as we work with our little ones and coach parents. Friends, you can find Becky over at the SLT Scrapbook on Instagram that is linked in the podcast notes as well as her website. Also linked in the notes is my website, thanksmorris.com and my Instagram at thanksmorris. Feel free to find me and connect with me so you can nominate yourself or somebody you think would be really great to be on the podcast and share their area of expertise. I also want to take a quick second and remind you that the holidays are upon us and boy, did they creep up on me. But I have something fun to share with those of you that maybe want to gift a little one and an adult or an adult, however you want to do it, with the gift of gratitude. The Say Thanks More Children's Journal and the Adult Journals are fully stocked in my shop at thanksmorris.com. And I have bundled them up so you can get an adult journal plus a child's journal in a special holiday package for again an adult and a child you love for the price of $30 so it's a pretty good deal and I you know I just want to get you sharing the goodness of the gratitude and um, spreading that joy this holiday season all right friends I hope you have a beautiful week make it magical make it joyous and have some fun (laughs) bye-bye